Lesson 11 for September 3 through to 9. Jesus bade them, Follow me. Sabbath afternoon, September 3. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you today as we open your word. This week's lesson has something very special for us in that it tells us what Jesus wants us to do. And there's nothing more important than that. We pray, Lord, as we open your word, that your spirit will guide us, that we may have the wisdom and the understanding that will help with our lives and the lives of those we meet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is John chapter 10 and verse 5. But they, the sheep, will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Let's read that again, John 10, verse 5. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize his voice. In AD 362, Roman Emperor Julian launched a campaign to revive paganism. Christianity was taking over the Roman Empire, and he and the pagan leaders were worried. Julian's advice to a prominent pagan priest expressed his concern and gives a clue as to why Christianity was growing so rapidly. He said, I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, the impious Galileans, or Christians, observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. That's quoted in Rodney Stark's Cities of God, page 31. The Romans had counted on Christianity's fading away when their leader, Jesus Christ, died. Instead, record numbers of Roman citizens were following Jesus. How did they explain this problem? Jesus' followers were demonstrating his love through meeting the basic needs of those around them. That's what Jesus did when he was here, and that's what his followers are to do as well. No wonder, then, that when given the offer to follow Jesus, so many did. Sunday, September 4, they know his voice. Question. Read John chapter 10, verses 1 through to 5 and verse 16. How do these texts illustrate the importance of why we, as Jesus' representatives, must form positive and loving relationships with people in our communities as we seek to lead them to Jesus? How can we help them learn to hear his voice? John chapter 10 Beginning at verse 1, Most assuredly I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And verse 16. 
and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The whisper of a friend is more powerful in drawing people to Jesus than the shout of a stranger. When we make friends who learn to trust us, the good shepherd as we read in verses 11 and 14, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, and verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. The good shepherd can work through us to help these people hear, know, and follow his voice. It is, of course, important that we know Jesus' voice ourselves before we can help others know it as well. We need divinely given discernment to distinguish between the cunning voice of Satan and Jesus' voice. Indeed, we must never forget the reality of the great controversy and that we have an enemy who works with great stealth to keep people from coming to a saving relationship with Jesus. Nevertheless, we can be powerful conduits who help people know the voice of Jesus. He speaks through nature, even despite the ravages of the fall. Providential circumstantial workings, the influence of the Holy Spirit, godly people, and His Word. And there's a note here to see what Ellen White says in Steps to Christ, pages 85 to 91. And we ourselves come to know and obey that voice. As we do so, we can be guides to others as well. The last thing we want to be is, as Jesus once warned, the blind leading the blind in Matthew 15, verse 14. Why did Jesus have such compelling power to draw people to him? It's because his example of unselfish giving of himself is hard to resist. When we, his body, set selfishness aside and take on the nature of a servant, letting him live out his life within us... Others will be drawn to the call of the Christ in us. As the Good Shepherd's representatives, we must reflect the characteristics of his ministry when we bid people to follow him. Authenticity in word, as well as genuine service that reflects Jesus' sacrificial love, opens the ears of those whom we serve and breaks down barriers between the community and the church. So to finish the day... What are concrete ways that you can help others hear the voice of the shepherd? Monday, September 5. We are to seek... Question. Read Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Luke 9, 2, and Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. What is one key point that all these texts have in common? That is, what are they telling us to do? Well, first of all, we'll look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Mark chapter 117 reads, Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And Luke chapter 9 verse 2, He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. 
and Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of waters. For years, a Seventh-day Adventist congregation prayed, Lord, please draw the people in our community to our church and to you. As if our church is a giant magnet that will magically draw people in? Yes, sometimes people do walk into our churches searching for God, all with no apparent effort on our part. But what is your church to do? when years go by and no one from the community walks through your doors. If you merely focus on praying for people to come, you are not following Jesus' method for winning souls. He mingled, socialised and sought out people to save. As it says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 229, we are not to wait for souls to come to us. We must seek them out where they are. There are multitudes who will never be reached by the gospel, unless it is carried to them. Various metaphors illustrate this idea of seeking. 1. The shepherd leaves the 99 sheep that are in the fold to seek for the one who has wandered away, as we read in Matthew 18, beginning at verse 10, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish." Jesus is telling this story in the context of his admonition to nurture and protect little ones from sinning. The little ones could be little children or immature Christians. If they wander back into the world, we, like Jesus, are to seek for them and lovingly bring them back to him. The point here is, as in the text above, quite similar. We are to be proactive in seeking the lost. We need to make an effort to reach out to them. Though on occasions it happens that someone walks in off the street and says, teach me about God, about salvation, about truth. That's generally not the norm, is it? And point two, Christ's method of reaching the lost will not, cannot be without fruit, as Ellen White writes in Ministry of Healing, page 144. Are we, however, focusing only on the low-hanging fruit? People who already share our Christian worldview, such as Christians of other denominations? What are we doing about reaching the hard-to-reach fruit? Secular people, atheists, Muslims, Jews, Hindus, Buddhists, etc. Historically, people with Christian worldviews find Adventism relevant, but we must do a much better job of sharing Jesus with faith groups that have other world views.
Tuesday, September 6. The Bridge. Sometimes a church will have community service outreach programs in areas of health, family, personal finance, conflict management, etc., and might ask, what is the bridge to bring them to the follow me stage? We rather should ask, who is the bridge? Answer, you are. The strongest argument in favour of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian, Ellen White wrote in the Ministry of Healing, page 476. Churches that are successful in keeping inquiring visitors engaged from event to event and program to program are blessed with members who genuinely love God and are eager to nurture lasting friendships. On the flip side, church members who are careless in their approach to visitors or even lethargic toward them can have a very negative impact on your church's outreach. As Ellen White writes in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 371, the Lord does not now work to bring many souls into the truth because of the church members who have never been converted and those who were once converted but who have backslidden. What influence would these unconsecrated members have on new converts? Would they not make of no effect the God-given message that his people are to bear? Question. Read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Why did Zacchaeus find it necessary to climb a tree to catch a glimpse of Jesus? What spiritual lessons should we take from this story? Luke 19, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner? Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Imagine what might have happened if those who were blocking access to Jesus there in Jericho had paid attention to Zacchaeus's keen interest in coming close to Jesus and had lovingly invited this sinner to the feet of the Saviour. Those of us who are part of the crowd around Jesus must be so infected with his love for struggling, sinful humanity that we become contagious Christians. If we are deeply aware of God's love and grace for sinners like us, we will passionately seek those outside of the crowd who are short in spiritual stature and caringly usher them to Christ. So to finish today, how do you act toward new faces in your church? Do you make an intentional effort to talk to them, or do you ignore these people, thinking that someone else can minister to them? What does your answer say about yourself, and what might need to be changed?
Wednesday, September 7, The Bidding Jesus and his disciples healed people and then turned their minds to eternal issues, such as Ellen White wrote in Ministry of Healing, page 20. Evangelist Mark Finlay reminds us that not to introduce God to people is spiritual malpractice. Jesus' method of evangelism was to touch people at their points of greatest need. This is medical missionary work. Christ was not content only to heal them physically and do nothing else. The goal is eternal life in Jesus. Medical missionary work may not start with bidding those whom we know to follow Jesus, but it should get them there eventually. Out of our love for people, we will long to offer them everything that Jesus offers. But you say, I will take care of the first part of Jesus' method, but I don't do the bidding follow me part. That's not my gift. If you do the first part, you may surprise yourself by automatically sharing Jesus and it'll be so natural, so much easier, because you did the groundwork in the soil of their hearts. As you become better acquainted with the people you serve, be alert for opportunities to talk about faith and about what the Lord means to you. Look for opportunities to bring up spiritual topics. Ask your new friends about their family, their occupation and their religion, which opens the way to share your personal testimony. In fact, Personal testimonies can be the most powerful way to witness because they can also be the least threatening. You aren't overtly preaching, you are simply telling a story, and we all should have our own personal story about what Jesus has done in our lives. Question. Read Acts chapter 26, verses 11 through to 27. The Apostle Paul's telling of his personal testimony to King Agrippa. What can we learn from this for ourselves in seeking to witness to others about Jesus? Acts chapter 26, beginning at verse 11. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me, and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes, in order that you can turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, 
Having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defence, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe." Notice the various stages. Paul told about what he was like before he knew the Lord. He then told about his actual conversion experience. And Paul then told about what God had done in his life since then. Then he made an appeal. So to finish today, though our stories might not be as dramatic as Paul's, what is your own story with Jesus? And how can you learn to share it with others when the time is right? Thursday, September 8. Seek and you shall find. Question. Read Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, Matthew 7 verses 7 and 8, and John chapter 1 verse 12. In what ways are these three passages related? And what are they saying to us about what it means to seek and to find the Lord? First of all, Revelation 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. And Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And John Chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, and to those who believe on his name. These texts together show that people must ask and seek and be open to receive Jesus. At the same time, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 depicts Jesus as standing at the door and knocking, so that a person will open the door and let him in. These ideas are not contradictory. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is willing and working on the hearts of people, drawing them to Him, even if people aren't necessarily aware that this is what is happening. They are often seeking for something that life itself doesn't offer them. What a privilege to be there to point them in the right direction and to help them better understand just what it is that they are looking for. The fact is that through you... Jesus can knock at the door of the lives of the people in your community and anyone who willingly opens the door and receives him will receive the blessings that come from him as we read in Revelation 3.20 and John 1.12. 
Also, he invites his followers to ask, seek, and knock at his door, and receive the good gifts of his kingdom, as we read in Matthew 7. When the Holy Spirit impresses you that someone is ready to open the door to Christ, ask, Would you like to pray with me to receive Jesus Christ and become a member of his family? The following is a sample prayer that he or she can pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I now invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name, Amen. We need spiritual discernment to know when the right time is to make an appeal. While there's always the danger of being too aggressive, there's always the danger, perhaps worse, of not being aggressive enough. Sometimes people need a firm and loving push to make a choice for the Lord. Who knows who might be teetering on the edge between two choices, eternal life in Christ or eternal loss. We do, for sure, have a sacred responsibility. Friday, September 9. There was a young man who loved the Lord and who wanted to tell others about Jesus. Articulate, charismatic, he was a powerful witness. People loved to hear him speak. Yet there was a constant problem. He was always afraid to ask people to make a commitment to Jesus. This surprised other church members because in every other way he seemed so bold for the Lord, so willing to speak openly about his faith. Eventually, when asked about it, he gave the argument that we saw in Wednesday's study, that this was not his gift. He liked to sow seeds. He would leave it to others to reap the harvest. After a while, though, he confessed that, more than anything else, he was afraid of being rejected. He always felt a bit inadequate as a witness for the Lord, which is a good thing, and thus he was afraid that people would not make commitments to Jesus after he had asked them to do so. Others in the church explained to him that witnessing isn't about us, but about Jesus. We are always going to be imperfect witnesses. Though we can prayerfully and lovingly point them to Jesus, we cannot play the role of the Holy Spirit, who alone can bring conviction and conversion. We, though, are to be the human conduits of the love of Christ to others. And that brings us to our five discussion questions for this week. 1. What would you say to someone who said that he or she was afraid to ask others to make a commitment to Jesus? 2. John 1.9 reads, That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. How does this verse help us to understand that the Lord is seeking to reach every person with salvation? 3. How friendly is your church to visitors? What would you do better, or what could you do better, in regard to how you deal with strangers who walk in the door? 4. When was the last time someone off the street simply walked into your church? How did the church respond? And five, in class, talk about your own conversion stories. 
How have you used them, or how could you use them to be a witness to others? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled A Changed Heart, Part 1, and it's by Agnes Mokoigo and Alita Bird from Rwanda. Why are you all dressed up? the fish seller in the marketplace asked me. I looked at my good clothes, not what one normally wore to the market, and wondered what to tell this man who was a friend of my husband. If my husband knew that I had gone to church, he would be angry. But I could not lie. Finally, I told the man, I came from church to buy my husband's favourite fish for dinner. My home was not a happy one. My husband drank heavily and paid little attention to the children or me. We were poor because he did not work regularly. These problems left me discouraged and searching for anything that would bring me hope. So, when I met my neighbour and her friends on the road one day, and they began to tell me that God is the answer to all my problems, big and small, I was eager to hear more. But when they invited me to their church on Saturday, I told them I could not go. Saturday was market day, the busiest day of the week. Before my neighbour and her friends parted, they gave me a Bible. I opened it and began reading as I walked home. I continued reading the Bible at home, and soon I found some precious verses that seemed to speak just to me. I read them again and again. It was Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 27. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? God knows about my worries, I thought. If God cares that much about me, he can certainly help me with my problems. I decided that I would make time to go to the Seventh-day Adventist church the next Saturday, to learn more about the God who did not want me to worry about anything. I got up and dressed before my husband awoke and slipped out of the house. And this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful. <laughs>